0: One of the great parables presented by Jesus, and Jesus, as you well know, was the master teacher. He had an innate ability to connect with people. And Jesus oftentimes used modern-day illustrations to make spiritual points. And in Luke chapter 8, Jesus uses a very interesting illustration to discuss the human heart he talks about soil or dirt as we would think of it and he talks about how soil or dirt is like the human heart in order for in order for dirt soil to yield fruit Seed has to be planted, and it has to be planted under just the right conditions, the right kind of soil. And so in this parable, Jesus talks about four different types of soil, and then he compares that to the human heart. And so when you begin reading this parable, and you Think about the application of it to your life. We might very well ask the question, which one of the four are you? Because he uses four different types of soil to represent the human heart. Let me just read for you. Beginning in verse 4, the Bible tells us, "...great multitudes had gathered, and others had come to him from every city." I think about the huge crowds, the multitudes that followed Jesus wherever He went. And no doubt they wanted to get a glimpse of the Son of David, the Messiah. This occasion, no different. Many people followed Him because they wanted wanted to hear what He had to say. Some wanted to not only hear the message, but to see some great miracle. And so in light of all of these multitudes of people, Jesus said a sower went out to sow, verse 5. And as he sowed, some fell, that is, some seed fell by the wayside, and it was trampled down, and the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on the rock, and as soon as it sprang up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. Some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked it. But others fell on the good ground, sprang up, and yielded a crop a hundredfold. When he had said these things, he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And then in verse 9, the disciples asked him, What does this parable mean? They wanted to know what the point was. And Jesus is going to interpret this parable for them. And so in light of that, I want us to talk for just a minute or two about a couple of things. First, I want to talk about the seed and then the soil. Very simple. First, we think about the seed. Now, in verse 11, Jesus said the seed is the word of God. Seed is a very interesting concept because we understand that It's applicable in the physical realm and also in the spiritual realm. And so as you think about seed, one of the things you need to understand is that there are some principles associated with the seed. Back in Genesis chapter 1 in verse 11, God said regarding the creation of the world, and the elements that make up this world. He said every seed brings forth after its own kind. In the natural realm, in the physical realm, we understand if we take corn seed, it will produce corn. If we take bean seed, it's going to produce beans. Spiritually speaking, we know that Ultimately, whatever kind of seed we sow in this life, it's going to yield yield fruit, isn't it? In Galatians chapter 6, Paul said, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. So in a sense, you are sowing, and later you will reap. He said, He that sows to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. He that sows to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap corruption life everlasting and so this principle of the seed it's true in the natural realm it's true in the spiritual realm and then there's a second thing associated with the seed and that is the great potential that a seed possesses you see when a seed is planted in just the right kind of soil under the right conditions what will it do? bring forth fruit won't it that's true in the physical realm the natural realm it's true in the spiritual realm Jesus will talk about down in verse 15 that heart that is honest and good when the seed is planted in an honest and good heart it yields fruit every time the bible says that is, the seed of the kingdom, is intended to be placed in the hearts or the lives of human beings. When that seed is planted and germinates, it ultimately yields life. It brings forth fruit. In 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter said, Being born again not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God which lives and abides forever. In John chapter 3, when Jesus had a discussion with Nicodemus, who was a ruler of the Jews. Nicodemus, as you well know, came to Jesus by night. And he said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do the miracles of the signs which you're doing unless God is with him. So Jesus said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus, of course, thought he was talking about a physical birth, so he asked the question, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus said, verily, verily, truly, truly, I say unto you, except one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So the new birth, those who receive the word of God, the seed of the kingdom, in that honest and good heart, yield fruit, don't they? That's what Jesus is talking about. It's what Peter was talking about. So we think about the seed, but what about the soil? In verses 12 and following, Jesus is going to talk about the various types of soil, or the human heart, into which that seed is deposited the seed of the kingdom, again, which is the word of God. Now in verse 12, he begins talking about compacted soil. Listen to him. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. How many of us have had the opportunity to Visit the Smoky Mountains. And you can go to the Smokies and you can go to Clingman's Dome and other places and you can walk the trails. And those trails are there for a purpose. and Lots of footsteps cross those trails every day. If you, were going to plant a, if you were going to plant a garden, you wouldn't plant it in a place where people were constantly walking and trampling down the soil, would you? Well, Jesus here is talking about this compacted soil, this compacted heart. And he said, when that seed is sown, the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. Let me me just say this. The devil understands the power of God's word. In no way does he diminish the power of the word. And so what the devil wants to do is create a barrier between the human heart and the seat of the kingdom, which is the word of God. And he is the master of this. He is a master tactician. He understands that if you receive the word in that honest and good heart, what's going to happen? It's going to bring forth fruit. So he doesn't want that to occur. And so what he wants to do is separate you from the word. He does this in a couple of ways. One is deception. John wrote in Revelation chapter 12 verse 9 that the devil is the one who deceives the whole world. Think about how many people in our world have been deceived about the time that they have here on planet earth. In other words, they have this idea they're going to be here forever. Now maybe they don't say that in so many words, but that's how they act, that's how they live. Solomon said, who knows what a day may bring forth. We have no idea what's on the morrow. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Now we may say, in all probability this will occur, that will occur, but we don't have any guarantees, do we? Yesterday morning when I received a call, from Brother McElroy, totally unexpected, like a bolt of lightning hit me. We just don't know. And what the devil wants you to think is you've got time. James said that life is like a vapor. It appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Job said man born of woman is of few days. You can't guarantee anyone you'll be here this time next week. Now, you might say, in all probability, I'll be here. But you don't know that for a fact. You might have an accident. You might have a stroke. You might have a heart attack. Who knows? The devil is the master of deception and doubt. Think about how many people doubt the truthfulness of this book that we call the Bible. How many people have you read about who say, you know what, this book is just a a bunch of fairy tales, folklore. I mean, here are a group of guys that got together and put their heads together, and they have created this book that we call the Bible. And so what the devil wants to do is cast doubt upon the truthfulness of this book. And yet over and over again, Again, this book speaks of its own truthfulness. You can check it out. and You can sift it from cover to cover and you'll find out every single solitary thing that is revealed in this book is true. Jesus said, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Look now at verse 13. He talks about the craggy soil. That word simply means rocky. He said the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no root. Who believe for a while and then in time of temptation. Now Matthew tells us in Matthew chapter 13 that these are ones who receive the word and then in time of tribulation or persecution, because of the word, fall away. We're living in tough times. America has changed so much just in my lifetime. The last 50 years, this country has undergone cataclysmic changes. Changes that no more represent the ideals of the 60s and the 50s. The landscape has changed. A nation that once prided itself on its association with God and his word. This nation has changed in that respect. It's no longer about God and the ideals of what this book teaches. But it's about humanism. What makes you happy? What makes you tick? Now, I say that to simply emphasize this. There may very well come a point in time in our lifetime in which we are going to suffer for our faith. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus, in talking about the foundational truths upon which His disciples must build their lives, said, Blessed are they, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Is it possible that we're going to be tested for our belief in Almighty God, our obedience to the Word of God? Think about the pressures of our society. Jesus here, in a very transparent way, said, Look, if you want to serve me, you need to understand that persecution and service in my kingdom go hand in hand. Paul said it like this in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. All that will live godly in Christ Jesus, he said, shall suffer persecution. All he's saying is if you live a godly life, expect persecution. If you don't have deep roots, if the word of God is not firmly planted in your life, you're in trouble. You need to understand, number one, what you believe, and number two, why you believe it. Because if you don't understand those two fundamental premises, then your faith is subjected to being tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. You are susceptible to recanting the faith. Let me ask you this question. Let's say somebody put a gun to your head this week and said to you, All right, You either renounce Christ or you die. What would you do? It's one thing to sit in an air-conditioned building, in a place where we're free to worship God without any outside interference whatsoever, and say, I know this, I would say, Jesus is Lord, and you can put a bullet in me. But it's altogether different when somebody's holding a gun to your head. We know what we ought to say, don't we? Jesus said, be faithful until, that is, in the face of death, you be faithful. And the promise is the crown of life. So what we have to do is arm ourselves with faith. We have to, as Paul said, be strong in the Lord in the strength of His might. We must put on the whole armor of God that we might be able to stand against the wiles, the schemes of the devil. This is just one of His ploys. There is a third type of heart or soil. Listen to verse 14. And the ones that fell among thorns are those when they have heard go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life and bring no fruit To maturity. Now, this is the cluttered soil or the cluttered heart. And Jesus is saying here that this kind of heart, this kind of soil, is not productive. And He states three very specific reasons why this kind of heart doesn't yield fruit. Basically, what He is saying is, that because of cares, riches, and pleasures of life, people have their spiritual lives choked out. Think for a minute about the cares of the world, the cares of life. There are a lot of things that are important to all of us. And there are things that we do on a daily basis, and there's nothing wrong inherently with those things. For example... Some like to hunt. Some like to play golf. Some like to work. Some enjoy a number of things. The problem, however, is when the cares of life, the cares of the world, outweigh our desire for serving God. In other words, we allow these things to choke out our spiritual life. He talks about the cares of this life. There are a lot of folks, it's all about the here and now. It's all about what makes them happy, what they want in life. And yet Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. In Colossians chapter 3 at verse 4, Paul said, when Christ who is our life shall appear. Then we shall also appear with Him in glory. For a lot of folks, Jesus isn't the hub. What's happened is the cares of this life have choked out the Word. He talks about riches. Have you ever thought about how many times in the Scriptures the Bible discusses the subject of material goods? Did you know that there is more said about material goods than the subject of baptism? Baptism? The subject of prayer. Now, I'm not minimizing prayer or baptism into Christ. But there are over a a thousand references to material goods. What do you think Jesus is trying to say? I think what the Lord is saying is you better be very careful about your money and your material goods. Why? Because you can allow those things to crowd out, choke out your spiritual life. Paul said, Godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into this world and it is certain we can carry nothing out. When you die and leave this world, whatever money is in the bank will be in the bank. Whatever land you own will stay behind. You can have a lot on you can have a lot in this world stored up, but the bottom line is you can't take it with you. Jesus asked the question, what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? If you gain the world but you lose your soul, guess what? You lose. Paul said those who are minded to be rich fall into a temptation and snare and many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. He said the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil which some men having reached after have pierced themselves through with many sorrows and been led astray from the faith. Nothing wrong with riches, nothing wrong with wealth, material goods, as long as we control those goods and those goods don't control us. There are a lot of folks, they work seven days a week from can to can't. It's all about business. It's all about climbing the corporate ladder. It's all about this and that, and they forget about God. And why? Because of the almighty dollar. In an effort to get more and more and more, and that spiritual life choked out. No life. And then listen to what he says. The pleasures of life. Is there anything wrong with pleasure? There are a lot of things that we enjoy. Do you enjoy a good meal? Do do you enjoy watching the sun set at night? Do you like to get up early in the morning and see the sunrise? To just enjoy the majesty of God's creation. What a blessing. Don't you enjoy spending time with friends and family members? There are a lot of things that we enjoy that bring us pleasure and gratification. But the problem sometimes is when pleasure takes precedence over our relationship to God. Every Sunday morning when I come to services, I pass by a golf course. And I see a lot of folks on the first green every week, ate something in the morning. What, what, what's wrong with that picture? Well, you see, on the first day of the week, I understand I'm supposed to be in Bible study and worship. What happens, though, is sometimes we allow those pleasures to supersede our faith in God, and so we make excuses. Well, it won't hurt you just to miss one time or maybe a couple of times. What happens? Before long, it becomes a habit. And we make any and every excuse. Paul in Acts chapter 17 dealt with the philosophers of his day, one of which, one group of which was the Epicureans. And their idea was to maximize pleasure, minimize pain. We call it hedonism. There are a lot of people, it's all about what they want. It's all about what they can get. It's all about what gratifies them. And by the way, go back and look at Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Solomon said whatever his eyes desired, he got it. He did not withhold his heart from any pleasure. And we could ask the question to Solomon, how'd that work out for you? There are a lot of people, they've got a lot of things, but they don't have God. They've got a lot of things, but they don't have any hope beyond this life talking to my dad the other day and he was telling me about somebody worth $300 million and he said this individual's well into his 80s and I said here's what's really sad at the age of 86 $300 million in the bank with all the fame and fortune you could ever want but he has not one red cent on the other side never obeyed the gospel Never chosen to live for Almighty God. Now I want to ask you, how rich is he? I wouldn't trade places with him for anything in the world. Because you see, in this life, we put all of our, we put all of our interest on the here and now, but one day, we're leaving here. The old train's going to stop, and when it stops, guess what? You're getting off. And that $300 million in the bank or whatever you've got in the bank, it's staying behind. Somebody else will enjoy that. So, in light of all of this, here's what, here's what Paul said. Some people are lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And Let me just inject this very quickly. Sometimes we set a dangerous precedence in the lives of our children. When we allow them to miss Bible study, to stay home and work on homework, that's a dangerous precedence. When we allow them to miss worship and Bible study, to play a ball game, that is a dangerous precedence. Because what you're saying is, that's more important than this is. You may make an A on a math test, but if you miss heaven, you missed it all. And then very quickly, the choice soil. Jesus said, but the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. This is the kind of soil that yields fruit. What kind of soil? That soil that has been cultivated, watered, cared for, tended. Now translate that to the human heart. Here is an honest and open heart. Here's the kind of heart that says, Okay, Lord, what is it you want me to do? How is it you want me to live? How, w- how is it that you would have me to function day in and day out? Peter said, As a newborn baby, we ought to desire the sincere milk of the Word that we might grow. 1 Peter 2.2 In 2 Peter 3, verse 18, Peter said, Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So I think about somebody who's, whose heart is open and pliable receptive to the teaching of Almighty God, and guess what happens? You show me somebody like that, and I'll show you somebody who is productive for Almighty God, who is living the kind of life that exemplifies the ideals of New Testament Christianity. They're seeking first the kingdom. Christ is their life. He's the hub, the focal point. So we've looked at four different types of soil, four different types of the human heart, Which one of the four are you? Only you can answer that. But I'll say this. Jesus said, by their fruit, you shall know them. So whether you realize it or not, people can see what kind of heart you possess. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, I want to encourage you to come to Christ. The Bible says faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. You just heard the Word of God. If you believe that word, and you put your faith and trust in Jesus as the Son of God, repent of your sins, that is, change your life, confess His name before others, and are baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins, God will add you to the church. Maybe you've been delaying doing what you know you've needed to do for a long time. Maybe you're here today, and some things have crowded out that word. Could we encourage you to come home? Could we pray with you and for you? As James said, confess your faults one to another, pray one for another. Thank you for listening to the Anchor of the Soul. Your speaker has been Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ, located at 9100 East Sandage Road in Olive Branch, Mississippi. To hear this lesson again, go to olivebranchchurchofchrist.org. Tune in next Sunday for more of the anchor of the soul. Fast and sure, while the billows roll, fastened to the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love.